Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. If you really wanted to, you could also follow along in the Eitz Chaim and look at the context for the verse I'm going to offer. But at the end of the day, uh, most of the commentary that we're going to look at is surrounding the Pasuk, the, this one verse. Uh, before we get into the, the teaching, I want to share a little bit about my adventure with therapy. Uh, and you'll see why in a moment. I love going to talk therapy. It's a very important part of my life. For a lot of people whom I know, going to therapy is something that makes them as healthy as they need to be. It is uh, it's very important to be in relationship with a therapist. And a couple therapists ago, I was uh, working with a therapist in a process called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one form of talk therapy. It's been around for many decades. And that therapist fired me to and said, I think instead you need to be working with a different therapist who does a very different methodology. And the methodology that she recommended uh, to me through this new therapist was called IFS, Internal Family Systems. It's a little bit of a misnomer if you think that immediately it's a therapy surrounding the the investigation of a family, because it has nothing to do with a family external to the individual, but rather the family of parts that exist within an individual person. So it's colloquially referred to not as IFS, but as parts work. What is parts work? It's discovering all the different aspects of the self, which are at times all present. Sometimes they are partially hidden. And identifying them gives somebody the opportunity to invite that part into the room or invite it to stay out of the room. For example, if our child part is very wounded by disappointment and by by losing, then perhaps when we're in a competitive situation, before we go in knowing that there might be a level of disappointment, we might say to our inner child part, You're not invited. You're staying outside of this situation and out of the room and vice versa. Sometimes it's the the inverse that we want to invite that part to be in the room to support us. We have manager parts. We have uh, parts that are self-loving parts, all, all very important. But one of the things that the therapy has given me an opportunity to think about are the multifaceted natures of each individual person who I'm in relationship with at any given time. It's not just me who is made up of many parts, whether I'm examining them or not. It's everyone is around me as well. And the commentary that I'm exploring this week talks about that notion that people, that sacred objects, that God, that time, all of it, even when we say, It's just one thing. That thing is made up of many parts. So we're going to start by looking at the Parshat, Parshat Truma, chapter 26, verse 6. One of the descriptors of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, that's going to be built, goes as follows. 
Viasita Khamishim Karse Zahav. And you're going to make 50 golden clasps. Vichibarta et hayriot, and you shall clasp together the curtains. It says here the cloths, but that's what it's referring to, yriota curtains. Isha el achota. What is Isha? A woman. El means to, a direct object. Achota is her sister. Achota. So each woman to her sister. That's how these clasps are described. Isha elachota. You should clasp them one to the other. It's a very beautiful decorative language. No pun intended. Ba kirasim. You should use those uh, krasim, those clasps, to put them one to the other. Vehayaha mishkan echad. And the mishkan, the tabernacle, will be one. So what's the first question to investigate the most basic surface level question based on the way this verse wraps up. What's the most basic question to ask? If there are two parts, how can that be one? If there are two parts, how can that be one? And I'll expand on that. If there are 50 gold clasps, how can those become one? What do you mean, Hamishkan Echad? What does it mean that the Mishkan is one? We just said there are 50 clasps. There are individual curtains. We're going to clip them to each other with these clasps. And then it's going to be one. What magic is this that it's one? So the Zohar, which is we're not going to linger on for too long, but this Kabbalistic text, or rather the text that the Kabbalists cling to as a sacred commentary from about five, six hundred years ago, says the following about this verse. Patach ve'amar. Here the verse opens and says, and so on. Ha-ha-ha-raza. This is a mystery. Remember the Raza circle that came a few weeks ago? That Raza, that's where that word, uh, that's that same, well, one in the same word, that um, a mysterious or, or secretive, uh, thing. Ha 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 raza di Yehuda. This is the mystery of Yehuda or oneness, unification. Daha tikuna dimashkina mikama dargin ihu. So that's the arrangement, the daha. This one is the fixing or the arrangement of the Mishkan from all the different levels, like Madri Goat, Dargin Ihu. Dichtiv. And then in that, the Mishkan was one. That is, in every individual, there are uh, um, connected to one another, upper ones and lower ones. Uh, in the, in the body, kulhu raza degufa chad. And each of them are sort of a mysterious part of one singular body. So what is the Zohar saying about oneness? What are they comparing the Mishkan to here? The human body. So how is a human body made of upper and lower parts? What are some different reads on that? What is the upper and the lower of a human person? 
you could have just the head and the upper part. And then you've got the lower part, right? You've got your head and your shoulders and your arms. And then you've got your lower, the tachton, the lower part of you. Good. What are other reads on that? What else could we read as upper and lower parts of a human? Oh, right. So you could do the the thinking or the emotion. And in fact, uh, the ancient people used to think that the heart was the seat of wisdom, of knowledge, of knowing. That was da'at there. So you could think that, uh, so you're right, the heart is in that upper part, but that heart is a seat of knowledge. Um, right. And then below you could have the things that are perhaps mysterious or unknown, like the raza. And of course, you can have uh, the idea of parts of us that are raised in their awareness of holiness in the world, and there are also lower. In other words, in modern and contemporary thinking, we say we have our upper brain and our lower brain. Do you know from this concept? The upper brain being when we are in our most amygdala positive state, when our brain is thinking straight, when we really have our head on straight, we can think in our upper brain. We can reason. We can push off. We can delay gratification. But when we're thinking in our lower brain, when we're firing, when that amygdala is firing, when we are all riled up and cortisol is shooting through our body and we are are either fighting or freezing or fleeing, we don't think reasonably. That is our lower brain. So that's a metaphorical upper and a lower of a human being as well. Ibn Ezra is going to expand on this idea. So already, I think you can see where I was going with this notion of the parts work and the IFS and how a human being, much like the Mishkan, is made up of so many parts. But it's not limited to that. We're going to get wider and wider and wider. So let's look at Ibn Ezra first. Ibn Ezra says, Vahine Esra Yeriot, Hu Hamishkan, Hamishkan Kar Uechad Kolel Hakol. And here you have the 10 curtains, and then here's the Mishkan, and the Mishkan was called one that contained everything. It encompassed all of it. He called Guf Eno Devar Echad, Rakhu Mechubar Me Achadim. There's never just one thing. Everything in the universe is made up of conjoined Mechubar Me Achadim from one little one things. Everything in this world is made up of many parts. This microphone has a metal cage, an internal part. It has batteries. It has a button. It has a light and so on and so forth. This synagogue is not just a synagogue. What's in the synagogue? We have people who are in the synagogue. And even if the synagogue is empty, we have books and other individual items in the synagogue. And even if the rooms were empty, we would still have the sanctuary room and we'd still have the offices and we'd have Pilchal. There are component parts to every single thing in this world. Then it makes a comparison to God, the text, the Ibn Ezra text. The Chacha Hashem Hanichbad. And thus is the holy, uh, say the holy um, most respected name, because God is one, it is one that contains everything. And what do we call that one that contains everything? One. We call God Echad. And God contains everything. And God we call 
one. We're going to come back to that text in a minute, too, because that's a familiar idea that we declare the oneness of God. The Akedat Yitzchak, I put some like footnotes in the last page so I could, uh, so you could reference where these all come from. The, Ak- the Akedat Yitzchak, which is a Spanish text from the 15th century, as a series of sermons from Rabbi Yitzchak ben Moshe Arama. And there are all these different, uh, pieces of, of uh, uh, all these different she'arim, all these different gates, uh, and each of these gates has within it a sermon, a Devar Torah. So there's a philosophical idea contained with each of these, um, uh, each of these individual, in each of these individual sermons you have a philosophical idea, and the philosophical idea that's being discussed in this sha'ar, in this gate, by this rabbi who published his work in Soloniki, this is all about echadness. It's all about oneness. Now, before we started with the idea that the Mishkan, the Zohar confirms for us, the Mishkan is one, even though it's made up of many parts. And then Ibn Ezra has a commentary that says, well, Every human being, right? Every human being has individual parts. So uh, as, as uh, sorry, the Zohar says every individual human being has different parts. And Ibn Ezra comes along and says it's so much more than that. It's also God. It's also the conception of God in the world. The Akedat Yitzchak will come along and expand that idea times 10. We're going to look at the English because the Hebrew is extremely long with lots of quotes and uh, i'll look at the hebrew for every other text but it will take us too long to get through we don't have so long before the end of shabbat so I can make up what is behind this thing that printed on the page. Echad. Um, I'll, when I look at the translation, I can backwards engineer it. Okay, so let's look at the English. The term echad, to be one thing, is applied to items that are whole, not to parts of any unit. So we start with this idea that we don't call anything echad that is actually one. We don't say this cup is one because it's one. We say this cup is one because there's a handle and there's a uh, a vessel part. That's why it's one, because it has component parts to it. Anything that is actually atomically one, we don't call one. It has its own name. What do we call echad? Echad is a hint at yichud, at things having come together, being ma'achdim, being, being mechubarim, um, being brought together and conjoined into one item or one person or one deity, one god. So anything that's incomplete uh, because it's defective, because it's surplus, because it's redundant, those things that are incomplete, they cannot qualify for the description one. God will be perceived as echad, as one, in the messianic age, even though to our limited intellect, God might appear as having many, many facets. Pausing on that idea, I feel like the opposite is true. For most people, and I think it's interesting that the text goes there. I think for most people, we imagine God as one, and then we have to reason it out that, of course, there must be many aspects to God. But here the text imagines quite the opposite, that we see God in so many different ways and places in our life, but that it takes thinking and it takes trust and faith to understand that all those different 
thingies, all those different spiritual access points go to one God. That might speak to the kind of spiritual and religious thinking that was happening in the context of the Akedat Yitzchak's time, of Rabbi Arama's time. I'm curious about that, but I don't want to dwell on it too long. So so uh, the Akedat Yitzchak says, God is going to be conceived of as one. And how do we know that? That's a quote from Zechariah, from the prophet Zechariah, because on that day, Yom Hahu, that day, God will be one, known to all the peoples of the earth as one, perceived of as one. The Jewish people, as we just sang in Mincha, it doesn't say that in Akedat Yitzchak, but I'm just telling you, we just sang it in Mincha. What are the Jewish people? We are a goy, echad ba'aretz, right? Ata echad v'shimcha echad. You are one, your name is one, and we are goy echad ba'aretz. We are a people who are one. We have a mission in life, in history, which requires all parts of the nation to be part thereof. You cannot be a part of the Jewish people unless you are a part of that oneness and that connectedness. Sometimes we call this Kalal Yisrael, right? That's going back to the other word that was used in the earlier text for Kolel. The Mishkan is Kolel et, all the parts. It is inclusive of all the parts. God is Kolel et hakol. God includes all. And we are Kalal Yisrael, an all-inclusive oneness. Got it? So when we say Kalal Yisrael, we're saying we are all part of and connected to that Echadness. Then he gets a little more esoteric. A day is not a night plus a day. But the total of one 24-hour period is one day, one unit. When Yosef told Paro that the repetition of his dream showed that the dream was one, he said, no, no, Paro, this is one long dream, all those parts. He meant that each dream separately was meaningless. Only when you viewed it together was it a unit. The dream about the cows, the dreams about the stars, each of them make no sense until you see that they are all one prophecy downloaded to Yosef through his uh, connection to the universe and to God. Anyone who transgresses a single commandment of the Torah destroys the unity of Torah. That's a little harsh. And as if he has transgressed all the laws. This, by the way, is similar to something that I, I trying to recall. I don't think the Akedat Yitzchak mentions it, but a much more positive way of saying this is one who saves a single individual's life. It is as if. They saved the entire world. So it says in Pirkei Eliezer and a few other places. The same applies to anyone tampering with Torah, either by adding or subtracting a single law from it. If you were to take away one thing or add one thing to the Torah, would it still be the Torah? No, because the oneness, the unit is what matters. A man without a woman is not really a man at all because he cannot fulfill his purpose in life. Taking away the slight misogyny and heteronormativity of that for a second, it's actually a beautiful notion that one individual is not on their own capable of completing who they are meant to be and the indelible mark they leave on the universe. Rather, they must be in union they must be in companionship. And together with that companionship, we have many ways of conceiving of this now. But the notion is that we need to leave a legacy. 
for the note for the I, the way that the Akedat Yitzchak is thinking that legacy is a man and a woman have a child. In 2024, we think a little bit differently about how people can leave legacies and what it means because there are people, there are teachers out there who have no biological children, no adopted children, but of course, every child who learned with them is their student and is their legacy. So that's the notion here. That's my drosh on his, on his notion. When one person sins, he destroys the unity of the nation, makes the nation unable to achieve its destiny, its purpose in God's universe. I want you to think creatively with me for a second. What might it mean for one single Jewish person's transgression to destroy that nation? How could that be? Okay, if, if it's a transgression as serious as taking a life, of course that destroys the people. That's connected to that idea. How else, Rosa? Okay. Right. So when you when you do a singular sin, let's say you commit the sin of vandalism or of looting, that the impact isn't just that you've stolen that one item that you've stolen or the series of items you've stolen or broken the trust of that individual. You've now made the city feel less safe. You've now made other people, as a consequence, perhaps, have impact on their jobs if the store can't stay open, et cetera, et cetera. So one little thing can beget, uh, it can go rare, it can and can uh, create more opportunities for falling apart. You never just impact one person by violating laws. And I like the way that you're thinking, Rosa, outside the normative structure of Jewish law. Yeah, Irv. A bad actor gives a bad reputation to whichever group with which they're associated. I'll give you a wonderful story based on this. I always ask at a bait dean for conversion how people are known or intend to be known as a Jew to the other people who are around them and how it changes the way they act in the world. How are you known to be a Jew? And I say to them, you know, it could be something physical about you. It could be your actions. It could be something spiritual about you. Many people have said, well, I wear a Jewish star. I eat kosher food and people, uh, and people associate that kind of eating with, uh, with the Jewish people. And therefore they know I'm Jewish. I take Shabbat off from my work. Therefore they know that I'm Jewish. Two stories have been told to me that have really stuck with me on this front that I think go to this point. The first is somebody said, Well, the way that the people at my office know that I'm Jewish is that I used to gossip every day, all day long with everyone in the office. And when I learned about the idea of Lashon Hara, of not saying things that about people who are not in the room, I stopped. People would say, oh, did you hear about this? And I said to them, no, I didn't. And I would not like to, which is a wonderful way of saying that the inverse is also true. Right. What questions are, are you, are you asking of people to test their judgment? So one more example, and then I saw your hand. One more example is that somebody said, the way people in the world know that I'm Jewish is the way that I drive because I wear a kippah now 
And I used to drive like a maniac, very aggressively. But then this one time I was about to cut somebody off on the road and I realized that while I wear my kippah, whatever behavior I have on the road, they will associate with me being a Jewish individual. And I certainly don't want that person. He said, I don't care if that person says, ah, that guy in the white car. But I do care if they say, ugh, look how the Jews drive. And even if that's an unfair judgment from the other person, the anticipation, the anticipation that other people see you as a part of that people such that it should shift your behavior to be as responsible as possible is a rather beautiful notion that you will be so aware, not just of the impact on your life and on others, but on the whole that you are a part of. I saw your hand. Hmm. Well, who determines if sometimes arguments? Yeah. So who determines if sin is committed? Two answers to that question. The first is, I think if you ask the Akedah Yitzchak, he would say, it's objective. We have Jewish law and you're either breaking it or you are not breaking it. And to say it much more broadly, we started talking here about committing sins being a an analog. A, uh, a It can be paralleled by you know, graffitiing someone's property in Los Angeles in 2024. And so who is... Well, who is uh, sinning, who is transgressing, the one who is breaking with norms enough to either receive punishment or receive the attention of having broken with that norm. Great. Great. What a wonderful example. The LA Times did indeed say, well, it's a form of street art to have graffitied that entire building. Even if one person agrees with that, the most attentive individual, according to this text, is the one who wonders... Who will be impacted by either the negative or the positive associations with that? So let's read it back into the text. Even if it's a positive form of art, we are associating that art not just with whoever is the individual who climbed to the 41st floor. We are associating it with the group that they are a part of and represent. And it sometimes happens. I'm trying to lay the groundwork for this. It's not necessarily that I want to be known as a Jew everywhere where I drive on the road or how I act in the break room, but we are each part and parcel of that, of that group and of that community. And therefore the impact of our, of our actions in this world are never lonely. They're always a part of that whole, whether we like it or not, according to this text. I'm going to move on to make sure we can get through all of it. I see lots of interest in hands. That's great. Let me get through the rest of this. Uh, our sages, no, when one person sins, he destroys the, the unity of the nation, makes the nation unable to achieve its destiny, its purpose in God's universe. Oof, that's tough. One person sins and we're all, we're all down. Actually, you see this idea out there sometimes in the world that if every Jewish individual every single one on this planet were to celebrate one Shabbat, then the world would be redeemed. But of course, that's a purposeful exaggeration, right? It's nearly impossible, if not impossible for that to happen. Our sages view the relationship between Israel and God, meaning the people of Israel and God, in such a manner that the achdut, the unity of God, is impaired, it's damaged, when Israel does not enjoy God's favor through acting in a manner contrary to God's wishes. And then it goes through another example of a couple of battles that we're going to skip through. It goes through the example of Korach as well, which is also interesting. And we're going to skip all the way to the next page where there's just an itty bitty bit of English text left. Moses was taught that he had erred 
A few people trying to collect manna on the Shabbat are considered as if the whole nation had refused God's commandments. And then God said in return to them, how long are you refusing to observe my commandments? And of course, the takeaway here is not how long are you five or six people disobeying by collecting manna, but rather all of you people. It's like the kids who complain that the whole class lost recess because three or four kids were misbehaving. When a few people misbehave, God sees that misbehavior and responds apparently in the text of the Torah to, uh, uh, by punishing the whole, because we are echad, because we're one. We're going to move to Likutei HaLachot, uh, which is a commentary on the Orechaim, which is a collection of legal codes. And it jumps right in in the middle of a sentiment, but I checked and we don't need to know the rest of what's going on. So trust me on the context here. I can send you the text if you want to know more. The Al Yedeza, and as a result of this, Nitiached, Kedusha, no, Nityached Kudsha Brichu, the, the Kadosh Baruchu, the Holy Blessed One, will be unified, Nityached, Ushkintach, Bechina Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And this, uh, this Shekhina will also be unified, meaning God's, um, uh, feminine dwelling presence will also be unified along with the Kadosh part, and this is expressed in the opening verse of Kriyata Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. This text says that same unity, that same achdut, is reflected in the Mishkan as is expressed in the verse from, from that uh, very first text that we read, the first text from our Parsha today, which reads, Isha Elachota Bakrasim Vahayaha Mishkan Echad. One will be conjoined to the other, and the Mishkan will be one. So direct comparison between the oneness of the Mishkan and the oneness of God. There's a wonderful question that gets asked about this oneness and this achdut of God. I feel confident that, we, that we've explored some of the contours of what it means for a people to be one. But for God to have many aspects, like I said in the beginning, I struggle with this idea that we would see the many facets of God in the world and have a hard time seeing that all as a part of one God. The rabbinic sources ask a question on that text that we read at the end of the Alenu prayer, Zechariah. And it's a question about whether or not we've ever seen God's oneness. We declare God to be one, but have we ever met a whole God? Do we know God is one? Or is that something we're going to encounter only by Yom HaHu on that day? So there's a text in Talmud Pesachim that explores this. It goes as follows. The verse from Zechariah is, They ask, And how could it be that we say he's not one right now? If it's Bayom Hahu, is God not one as of right now? And Rabbi Acha Barchanina had a wonderful saying about this. What is the difference between God's oneness, whether it exists now or not, and God's oneness in the future? 
Is it that God isn't one now and will be one in the future? God is one, says Rabbi Acha Barchanina. But the way that we experience God in the world is going to shift into seeing the one singular aspect. And how will that be manifest? Lo ka'olam hazeh ha'olam haba. The world to come is not like this world. And our world is not like it. Ha'olam hazeh, this world. Al besorot tovot omer. When we get good news, we say, Baruch hatov v'hametiv. Blessed is the one who makes good and improves to be even better. Ve'al besorot ra'ot omer. And upon Terrible tidings. We say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Blessed is the true judge. We accept that God determines the fate of each person and each thing in the universe. La'olam haba, in the future world, says Rabbi Achabar Hanina, kulo hato vehametiv. Everything will be for good. Now, some rabbis read that verse and say, well, Everything's going to be hatov, the hametiv, because there will not be bisorotra ot. There will be no bad news. And because there's no bad news, there will be no reason to say baruch dayan ha'emet. Instead, everything is for the good and even for making better. But I think that another way of considering this teaching in the context of all of the oneness of the world is to say, that we won't see God and we won't see people as split into good parts and bad parts, their component parts. Right now, we see good things in the world and we say, thank God. And we see bad things in the world and our tradition tells us to say, well, I guess God isn't just a giver of goodness. God is also a giver of of things that we don't really want to see, but we say we trust in you, true judge. But in a redeemed world, in the world to come, in the world that we strive to reach, we don't look at all those individual parts. We're able to see the whole. And what a beautiful thing if we were able to do that also with people and peoples. What if we were able to not see people as made up of their individual component parts, which may or not at any given moment rub us the right way, either for a people or a peoples. The messianic way of looking at the world, according to these teachings, is to look and see each individual thing in this world, whether it's a cup or a microphone or a room in this building or somebody's grumpy mood and somebody's good mood or one Jewish person versus a whole Jewish people to see them as a part of a connected whole and that people are often way more than the sum of their parts and so are things in this world. I think that's a lovely teaching to go out of the Shabbat with and I hope that it gives new meaning both to you're one and your name is one and that we are also one people on this earth. And also as we get to Aleinu and Ma'ariv, that it's not just a saying from Zechariah, but it's a prayer that on that day, we'll see a unity in this world of all things and we'll no longer have to decide whether we're witnessing God's grumpy side or God's happy side, but rather we see all as a component part Each thing is a component part of one greater networked divine presence in this world. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.